Hey guys, welcome to another football podcast. We're just like any other football podcast. We talk about Liga Mekis, El Tri, and Mexicans abroad in English. Thank you to all you guys for listening to episode one. This is episode two, so enjoy. I am Cari Torres, and with me is the one and only Tom Harrison. Tom, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, ¿y tú? Muy bien, gracias. So, let's just dig in. Week 10 of Liga Mekis to start off, because I am so jealous that you have been just back-to-back Liga Mekis, and you had the opportunity to go to the Toluca versus Necaxa game, Estadio Nemesio 10. Talk to me about the experience in that stadium. What's so different about it? What did you enjoy? I loved it. Um, it, was, it was an incredible day altogether, really. Uh, the stadium is very different and it was more similar to the experience I had at Estadio Azul when I went to the Adios Al Azul game because the Toluca Stadium is right in the city you know the Messi Odias is, is right there it just suddenly appears from nowhere and um, there's this brand new stadium just in the middle of this residential area right in the middle of the city and because of that it just brings that different atmosphere and it reminded me of a lot of games uh, in, a, in a way it was similar to a lot of sort of games atmosphere as I was used to in London uh, but obviously it had the Mexican flavor and uh, just there was so much going on on the streets people eating before and after the games and a great atmosphere outside and then inside the stadium was amazing uh, you know everything is brand new so it was quite different to the Azteca or to the Universitario but beautiful stadium you know really well designed and because it's it's more European style the stands are close to the pitch uh, the noise really stays in there and and there was an incredible noise uh, and really in sort of intense atmosphere during the game uh, so Absolutely love the stadium. Uh, the experience was fantastic. The food was great. I would thoroughly <laughs> recommend people definitely, uh, if if you can, go and visit the the Messi DS for any game. Um, it's it's well worth it. And I saw you definitely enjoyed some good tacos, some street tacos outside. Because you're in Toluca, you have to get chorizo, of course. I was told so. Yeah, I I obliged. <laughs> Gladly. Well, I'm glad you had fun and I did see the picture and the video you uploaded from your experience and it was I mean it was really really cool especially the whole noise like you had mentioned it was it was pretty dope um, so this Toluca Necaxa game it was it was really really good um, I was really I was watching it I was so intrigued by it it was just a lot going on it was very so I could just imagine you from the stands watching this whole game very attacking game from both sides and pretty unlucky scoreboard because I did enjoy how Nick Axa played as well as Toluca. Scoreboard 3-2. I mean, we can break this game apart so many ways um, from the counterattacks, from, you know, pick and play various players and how they played and, you know, talk to me about what um, your breakdown game in general from the stands, of course. (laughs) Well, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I mean, it Obviously, I have a massive bias of the fact that I was at the game, but for me, that's the standout game in the Liga Mekis season, without a doubt. It was two teams that both had distinctive styles of play. 
uh, distinctive methods of attacking. But when attacking, they were both on top form, I thought. Uh, perhaps perhaps a little bit kind to Nekaxa because, look, I, th I, I honestly thought Balagan was poor, really poor up front for them. Mm -hmm. And I thought he led to the breakdown of some of their attacks. But some of the possession play they, they showed was, was thrilling. Um, to see, obviously I tweeted about it, to see DTV Alpando live was just a privilege. Uh, and alongside Matias Fernandez, the pair uh, were phenomenal. They were so difficult to get the ball off. They're so, their awareness is ridiculous. You see them with two, three players around, around them and you, you think they're gonna lose the ball. And every single time they had an idea of how to get out of that area. They had an idea of how to pick a pass. Um, the problem I, th I thought in, in many times with their attacks was just there wasn't, there, there was the breakdown with Balagan and there perhaps weren't enough pl players looking to make runs in behind. You know, you had Balagan looking to hold up the players, more of a target man. You had Davila playing on the left, who was always looking to come inside, get on the ball and dribble. He, it was one of his poorest games, to be honest. This season probably his worst. And then obviously Matias, Dita, they're guys who like the ball to feet. So for a lot of the game, there wasn't enough, I thought, players to stretch the game, players to, to get on the end of, of those passes. But yeah, some of the, the football they played was delightful. And um, it's, it's a credit to what uh, Leano's doing there because it's such a turnaround from what we've seen from Necaxa in past seasons. Um, you know, Ambris, Sosa, it was defensive football. It was football where they didn't want to fight over the ball. They wanted the other team to have the ball and hit on the counter. And they had some success with that. There's nothing that says that you can't be successful playing that style of play, but um, it's not how Leandro sees the game. It's not how he wants to play. It's not in his vision. And he's completely managed to uh, revolutionize the way that they play. I mean, apart from Tigres, no one averages as many ball possessions per game than Necaxa do this season. So it's a credit to him what he's managed to do. The results are difficult to, to come by at the moment. Um, but in terms of style, in implementing a style which we don't see often enough in Liga Mekis. We don't see enough coaches coming in and changing things and implementing their own vision on the team. Now that's what he's been able to do. Definitely. And I feel you said Victor Davila was probably one of the worst. I didn't I don't completely agree with that. I really enjoyed him on the left wing. Do I think maybe he, you know, had here misses? Yeah, but I don't think he was the worst. I mean, that's I mean, just what I'm thinking. The, the bar's high, right? I was saying <laughs> it's probably his worst performance of the season, but the bar's been set very, very high very by high himself. For him. Absolutely. And then a player that stood out for me was Mayorga, left back from that came from Chivas. He gave a lot of action. He has a lot of give and go, especially in the attack. He participated a lot, especially first half. He kind of died off second half, but you know, towards the end of the game, he was more in the to attack. So I really appreciate that. And I also took a, a look at Villalpando because I think we talked about it in episode one. And um, I mean. He, he is he's really great i mean on the field he's just like you know really great and it's a good thing that you brought it out because i i've always seen him but i've never really much paid attention to him or followed the player on the field until you mentioned in in, in this game that was very you know action forward it was definitely i mean you saw how 
to estar con la cancha, I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and then, I mean, we have talked about Toluca's uh, counterattack with Sambu and, you know, Vega. That goal was pretty good. And then, obviously, we talked about Matias Fernandez. Um, phenomenal goal. I mean, that was a golazo to me. Ridiculous goal. Ridiculous goal. So, a lot of game that had a lot of give and go. I mean, Toluca's third goal was a three-touch goal from the goalie. And then, um, I can't remember who... Like, yeah, I mean, like headed it down. That was a horrific goal to concede. <laughs> really poor, really poor goal to concede. Yeah. But but some of Toluca's play, like you say on the counter, I mean, they started off the game. I th- they they were, I I thought they might have been going for the record of most corners. The the first five minutes, I think they had like six corners or something. It was ridiculous. They just kept having <laughs> corners and corners. But um, their attack is very very quick at what they Definitely. do. Definitely. Um, the way Quinones, Vega, Sambu they can all play one-two touch they will rapidly move the ball around you and make the most of space and seeing Sambuesa uh, you know seeing the whole pitch gives a completely different perspective of of a football match when you can see everything that's going on Uh, and it gives a a new appreciation of Sambuesa because I couldn't figure him out it was Mm -hmm. like he his uh, when he's given the freedom to move, which he is at Toluca, he's given that free role. He can come, he can play left, he can play right, he can play through the middle. He has this ability of being right in the middle of the action and influencing the game and getting the on the ball all the time, but also managing to then two seconds later, he's he's right in space on the wing. I yeah. I couldn't quite work him out, but trying to mark the man is so difficult <laughs> so difficult and when you give him space he will kill you uh he made he played six key passes he effectively got two assists um the vegas chip was sort of stolen by quinones uh, yeah. otherwise that would have been an assist for sambuesa he got the assist for the salinas goal both of them very very similar sambuesa isolating mayogra uh, on the uh, on the right hand side of the toluca attack he had the overlapping run time the ball to perfection he's fantastic yeah like i said yeah the ability for him to both be right in the thick of the action but always in space i couldn't work him out i I, obviously i wasn't watching him closely the whole game but it was like how did he end up there what there (laughs) that's sambuesa again 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 he's in space Um, amazing 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 player Definitely, and like I saw on that on that counter attack, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's where you kind of saw where he's just everywhere, and I mean, Sam was just that type of player. He yeah. has his moments, but all in all, you know. Yeah, and if he hit the post on the counter as well. Um, oh, it was a great game. It was a great game. It was a really really good game. Okay, so moving on to. Let's talk about El Clásico Regiomontano that it was a, oh, the hype was hype because, I mean, obviously, if we talk about what happened, the sadness that happened outside the stadium, you know, it kind of killed the vibe for the game. It was really unfortunate what happened and, you know, violence should not be taking place, especially with football, I mean, obviously the rivalry is there, but it shouldn't be taken to those that extent. Now, talking about the game, it was a very boring game. 
honestly. It was just, there wasn't any, like, really good action between them. It was just a Monterrey that was stacked back and a Tigres that was, like, barely, you know, being alive. Tigres sitting at six, Monterrey at seventh. Um, interesting to say. Talk, talk to me about the Gignac and Nahuel. It's that that I wrote in your article. So, I... Tigres had a lot of the ball, they always do, but, but this was even more than, more than usual because of how Monterrey played the game, because of how Tigres decided to play the game. So obviously people often complain about Tigres's style of play and the, you know, as some people see it, possession for keeping possession's sake, possession without a purpose, without much progression. And we had evidence that they weren't able to do enough with their possession um, on Sunday, and, and the key stat about this is is the Gignac Nawel comparison. So Gignac received the ball on just 16 occasions against Monterrey. So this is, you know, this is Gignac. This is the, the star of the league still. Whether he's the best player in the league or not, I could argue that. But he is the star of the league. He is Tigres's main attacking threat, and he got the ball 16 times. You can't expect someone to do that much with that. We compare that to Nawal Guzman. Guzman managed not, I'm not even talking the amount of times he got the ball. He managed to complete 17 passes. So <laughs> Guzman made more passes than Gignac got the ball. And Guzman only completed passes at a 65% rate. <laughs> so Guzman got the ball basically a lot more than Gignac did. And yeah. That shows that, you know, and we saw it. It was a lot of possession around the back. Janino, Ayala, Torres Nilo, play it wide to Duenas or play it wide to Chaka Rodriguez. And there was no progression. They'd get a presser, they'd get a man on their back, and it was just pass it back, play it across the other side, repeat. No one would risk. No one would risk. And, you know, I think that's what we had mentioned. Like, no one was giving in a little bit or seeing what they could do, but... Exactly. And, uh, no, absolutely. And the other thing that they didn't do is they, they didn't manage to provoke anything from the Monterrey attack. So Pabon, Funes Mori, Pizarro, Madrigal when he came on, they just sat off the, the Tigres back three. They just let them have mm -hmm. the ball, let them pass between themselves. And they went, you know, you, you can play there all day. We don't care. We're not going to try and win the ball <laughs> off you. And that made it difficult for Tigres to move forward because Monterrey had those players to to be a block, to particularly to stop that ball going into Guido Pizarro, who is, you know, the 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 quarterback you could say for Tigres, the guy who gets on the ball so much. Um, and he didn't. Um, he played fewer passes on on that night than any of the Tigres back five, which is very rare considering he. Um, is the fourth highest player of passes per match this season. So, Monterrey managed to stop them, but should Tigres have tried to take more risks, tried to do more? Um, yeah. Definitely. And, you know, now that you mention it, I mean, Tigres only had one shot on target versus Monterrey's two. I mean, that's just pretty much says how the whole game went. You know, I think I had, I think I had a scoreboard of like, Two, one, three, one, Tigres. And then after first half, I was like, this game is either going to draw 
zero zero or like a one zero because there was just they weren't even you know risking or, or doing anything um and talking about monterrey from the beginning i you know i had mentioned this team is stacked they have all these great players because they do it's just what is going on they have no style of play it's game after game I mean, they, they came from losing to Chivas to this game. Like, is has there been a difference between them? I mean, I don't think so. I don't I don't know what Diego Alonso is doing, honestly, because I had hopes. I'm like, okay, Diego Alonso is coming in for Pachuca. He's going to, you know, maybe change up Monterrey. I don't see anything. And then, obviously, Avilis Urtada was not playing. Urata Vizcaya was not playing due to injury. But still, you have players that could do a lot of damage. They just couldn't. And I think maybe probably because of how Tigres was playing. But even then, I, I questioned Pizarro since game one. Pizarro just disappears on the field, you know? It's just very frustrating. I don't know what you think. Uh, I think you're absolutely right in, in terms of questioning Alonso. It's... If you'd have not known that there'd been a managerial change this season... Yeah, you, you'd have assumed that was a, a Turco game. Turco I mean, game, that was yeah. a classic Turco setup. Everything about it, and there there has been no change. Um, the the most classic, and it, it was it was classic Turco to to everything, even the fact that he brought in Molina. You know, the mm-hmm. the way Monterrey have played the whole season has been very very similar. Yeah, pretty much. They you know Alonso hasn't changed much, and uh, but. He even went as far as to bring in that extra defensive midfield player for this game. Um, and, yeah, like I said, they, they sat off. They stopped Tigres playing, but they also weren't able to do anything themselves. So it was, it was like two teams that were almost delighted to take a nil-nil. Um, <laughs> in many ways, it looked like that because... yeah. Monterey is saying, go on Tigres, you have the ball and Tigres are going, fine, we'll keep it but you, you keep your 11 men behind it and we, we're not going to trouble you <laughs> in many ways it was like that for a lot of the game but um, interesting you bring up Rosado. I mean he's been awful this season absolutely awful and it's, it's very sad it's important to remember that he had a very poor start to last season with Chivas before turning it round but something I've just thought of when you were talking about about style of play actually um, is that at Pachuca at Chivas now they weren't massively possession based teams but they would have the ball more on average more than most Liga Mekis teams and he's come to a team that want to play very very differently and that are looking to be quick on the counter now Pabon Hurtado we know they're phenomenal on the counter definitely is Pizarro as effective is he someone that you need to give the ball to in more occasions? Is he someone who's better when you've, you're facing a, a set defense and you're trying to break them down rather than, you know, you've got 10 seconds, you've got to finish off this counter, you either lose the ball or you have a chance. So is he the right man for the right style? I, it's just something I've thought up on the spot. It's a good thing that you brought it up. I, I, I don't think so. I really don't. I just no. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no to that. And it's it, interesting you brought it up because it's true. You know the way you definitely. I I say no. I don't think that's his style of play. And it that's makes why he's doing so poorly. It makes you wonder about planning within the team. You know Alonso's come in. 
big fan of Pizarro from his time at Pachuca. That's perhaps why, why? he came into the into the Monterrey side. But then if Alonso is going to not change anything in terms of the style of play and play Turco football, then what was the thought behind that, you know? Yeah. It'd be really interesting to know more. Obviously, we can't, but it appears like you've got some disjointed thinking. Definitely. I think it's a team that... Do you see them making La Liga at this point? You know what? I had a look at the table this morning. I had a look at the table this morning and I thought to myself, one of the Monterrey teams could very well miss out on, on La Liga this season. Um, because I, I'm looking at the top four. I think Cruz Azul, 23 points now, you know. America look good. Mm-hmm. Toluca look good. They're always going to get results. Santos looked pretty good as well. Slipped up a little bit this week, but Veracruz did play quite well. But, you know, between the front two there at Santos, Rodriguez and Furch, they've got 13 goals and, and they're a solid team. So, you look at the rest, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are in the makeup. You've got Chivas coming up in a, in a big way. You've got Cholos, who are on great form, who are coming into the picture. Uh, Puebla have been on decent form. Obviously lost to America this week, but they've been on pretty good form. A few sides outs- outside the, the top eight could sneak in, and you never know. Monterrey or Tigres could surprisingly miss out. Well, I mean, if Monterrey misses out, I don't think we missed out on a lot. It's kind of like how Pumas barely, you know, by luck made it, and they made a fool of themselves versus... Um, America, so I just think if Monterrey is able to sneak up there, I mean, I don't think they would do anything like great that we, you know, just based off how they've been playing, and I don't see anything changing soon. The only thing I see changing at the end of the season will probably be Diego Alonso, and I mean, we all know how that rolls in Liga Mekis, but um, so I had another question for you, and this is off of what I was reading on your article, because I had a discussion with my dad prior to World Cup about Dueñas. Um, me and my dad were like, why Why doesn't Dueñas uh, get called up for World Cup? He's that player that he's just under the radar. He's a great, like, great possession of the ball, like, really hard to take the ball away from. He's just very determined, being aggressivo. He's always on top. Like, I mean, would you have thought maybe he could be a good addition prior to World Cup? No. No. Why not? I mean, Gutierrez only only made it at, at the last minute, and Gutierrez for me is a is a better player. Um, you know, I think Duenas is a is an interesting guy, and like um, what you say about him being great in possession is is absolutely right. He rarely gives the ball away. What's interesting about him is how he's been molded by Tuca Ferretti. Tuca and. Mm-hmm. He is clearly Mr. Reliable to Tuca. He can play him at right back. He can play him at left wing back. He played him pretty much uh, on on Sunday. It was He sort of started at left wing and then it, it ended up being left wing back when they went properly to a back three. He can play around the midfield, um, different roles in the midfield. He's great at keeping the ball within what Tigres want to do. He's always up there as one of the most consistent passers of the ball in Liga Mekis. But I don't think that he offers enough 
in terms of progression, in terms of creativity, where someone like a Gutierrez can, or even a Villapando can, because of mm -hmm. the way, partly because of the way Tigres want to play, it's low risk, it's wanting to keep the ball. Um, and for me, I don't like, I want someone, you know, if you're not the actual holding midfielder, which Duenas mm -hmm. isn't normally, I want someone who can be a bit more creative than Duenas. So, look, Liga Mekis, for what he does for Tigres, fantastic. Not quite LTD quality for me. Interesting. Just because, like, our, our problem in World Cup was just the back line. Here and there, we just, we weren't really questioning from the midfield up. We were just questioning the back line. And I just think, you know, I had thought, like, why not a player like Duenas? He can offer so much and maybe I mean, it's something different that, you know. Like a right eh. at right back, do you mean? Like a right back. I mean, we all know how, kind of how that ended in World Cup, but, you know, He's, seeing how Duenas has been very consistent with Tigres and how he is as a player, why not? That was, I think that was just my thing, like, why not? He, he'd have been too small to play right back. Too small? Yeah. Height wise? Yeah. How tall is he? <laughs> uh, he's 175, five foot nine. So obviously uh, Osorio wanted Salcedo or Edson Alvarez, a, a tall center back to play there for the extra height. So let's, anything else you want to add from that? Take away from the Clásico region? No, I think it's, I mean, the most significant thing is, is the violence outside the stadium, so. There's not much I can say about about that apart from you know it was it was horrible video to watch. Definitely, I saw would see the video on my Twitter. I just would not even want to watch it honestly. It was just, and I feel really bad. But okay, moving along, let's talk a little bit about Chivas and Querétaro because I did not watch that game, um, but just seeing the highlights of those two poor penalties really made you question the whole game and just how wrongly the referee was in that game it was just disastrous uh, i think we already had talked about um the referee in the medica puebla game and then now we're talking about referees in this game but this game it was clearly two penalties that were not penalties but that they were given and therefore the scoreboard was one one um, and Chivas and Chivas had a uh, a goal wrongly called offside. So, it would have been a different different outcome for them. And I think you had mentioned that Chivas dominated the whole game. They did. Uh, I guess I have a, a, a small apology for Chivas fans here <laughs> <laughs> because it's crazy actually. It, I, I tweeted after the 88th minute they'd managed to concede just a single shot from Caretero. One shot in 88 minutes. And this is them now playing with three centre-backs, which they did at Monterrey as well. And I said, you know, clearly it's working very well. In the remainder of the game, which I believe was six minutes, um, including the stoppage time, they conceded six shots. So from me tweeting, they conceded one shot in 88 minutes. They conceded six shots in six, six. minutes. And obviously it wasn't a penalty, but the penalty was given and, and they lost two points because of it. And it's interesting. It's just another example of, you know, 
every moment, every minute matters in a football match. And you can start to form these takes uh, watching the game as the game comes towards the end. And often nothing much happens in the last five, six minutes. And you think, oh yeah, well, I was absolutely right. And here it just got completely turned on its head because, um, you know, Caletero pushed late on and Chivas weren't able to deal with it as well as they dealt with uh, defending against Caletero attacks for, for the whole game. So interesting, just interesting how, I think, I think that's absolutely fascinating how you can concede one shot in 88 minutes and then six in six. Uh, it's incredible. I think it just gets to show you, like you mentioned how it doesn't matter if you probably have in position the whole game. If you don't know how to end the game, then that all of it for nothing. Um, it is interesting when you did tell me that because I was like, oh my God, he totally jinxed it. Poor <laughs> Chivas. Like, but it's an interesting stat because, you know, putting it in perspective and then obviously I think if the referee wouldn't have, you know, done that stuff, I think it would have been a different game. But um, very, very interesting to say that. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But Chivas okay. looking pretty good going into next week. Definitely, um, I think I think both of them are looking pretty good. If we're if we're sneaking talk about um, Chivas and America Clasico this week, uh, America came from a three-two win versus Puebla, and clearly Chivas have was dominating the whole game. So I think they definitely can get some confidence off of that, and looking forward to Sunday. So, obviously, I hate to bring it up to you, but it was a disappointing start for Nacho Ambris at Leon. Oh, what did you think of this game? So, Leon versus Lobos. Um, era Ambris. I mean, lineup did not pretty much change a lot. I think it was pretty much the same. The only uh, change that was in the lineup was uh, Miguel Herrera Kiwa. Uh, with Mosquera duo in the center back. So it was interesting to see Mascoro and Cerato starting as wingers at the same time. And um, Yairo did not play, so I was pretty pretty surprised that he went with the youngster, which, you know, based off of what he played versus Santos, it wasn't a good game for him, but I was pretty um, hype that he definitely got this start again and the rest would be, was the same and nothing new from Leon honestly I mean it was just more of the same thing and some of the game got suspended due to the weather which is pretty funny to watch everybody trying to move all the water out of the, the field game got suspended and then it continued and Leon ended up blowing to Lobos um, takeaways just very very sad i felt really embarrassed we lost to lobos who had four points second to last on the table and a leon that 15 plays trying to get those three points trying to move up in the table at this point more than half of the liga mekis league and yeah i mean nothing new i mean i did see walter sub in which walter was kind of MIA for a bit, um, so I was pretty surprised that Ambris uh, did sub in Walter early second half as well as Yairo, but even with those subs, I mean, there's just nothing much that we can do, and I think the article that you wrote about Leon, I mean, it's, it's true, we were just, we did not get the proper wingers, and that's just what's killing us, no one's feeding Boselli, I think we already had mentioned this before, but I think it's just going to 
extend until maybe next season when we can probably address it better and get a legit winger that will find that chemistry with Vosely. Because other than that, and just interesting to say that Luis Montes was the most effective player on the field, but I do think it has come to his time that we need someone else to replace him. As much as it hurts for some people, but it's just reality. Um, I think he's aging out, and we just need someone else that can replace him and is younger and just. Yeah, that's that's my takeaway from Leon Lobos. Harsh on Montes. <laughs> I, I I love Chapito. Um, he's you know has been one of those players that has been very important to Leon, the backbone of Leon. But I think we just need change, and if it's what's best for the team, you know, it's what's best. I mean. Yeah, I, I think we're losing Elias. Obviously, perhaps, perhaps you're right. Perhaps it is. It is time for a revolution. You know, the reliance on Elias Montes Boselli in attack. Perhaps it's time to move on and uh, and, and build a new attack. Definitely. So, it's my takeaway. Okay. So let's quickly move on to Mexicans abroad. And I'll start off by talking about PSV versus Ajax. 3-0 victory for PSV. Chucky El Mono Diabolico could not stop scoring. He had a goal. He played the whole game. Guti played 20 minutes. Uh, he subbed in minute 70. Um, an interesting stat for Chucky in his first two seasons, Chucky, in comparison to Robin, listen to the stat. Chucky has 26 goals in 44 games compared to Robin's 21 goals in 70 games. Um, Chucky's just that player that's been really, really consistent, and we can just expect a goal or an assist every single game. And it's just very, very, um, and, you know, pleasurable to watch. Uh, Chucky and just Guti getting those minutes, sneaking in those minutes. I mean, it's just a huge plus. Yeah, and to do it against Ajax to get the a big three nil win in the biggest game in the Netherlands. Uh, obviously, a massive, massive part of deciding who wins the Eredivisie because you don't lose many games if you're PSV and Ajax. So when you play each other, it's absolutely crucial. PSV now five points clear at the top. They've won all games this season. So it's it's looking fantastic. And I guess I'll say what I said before, you know, Chucky just looks too good for this league. Um, but fantastic to do it in this big game because more people, more scouts will have been watching this game or they'd have been watching this game and taking it that little bit more, taking it a little bit more from the game just because it's a, a higher class opposition than okay great you're scoring tons of goals against small teams you know that a lot of the Eredivisie are pretty small teams but to do it against Ajax in a higher pressure situation against higher quality players it's going to impress those opposition scouts um, for top European clubs even even more definitely so we can just expect Chucky getting that playing time every single weekend and scoring. Now moving on to Jimenez. Great game, Wolves versus Manchester United. Really, really good game. I was upset that they drew 1-1, but Jimenez played the whole 90 minutes and he had an assist. So, 
pretty good week for Jimenez, right? It's going well. He's, he's starting every week um, for an interesting Wolves team who were expected to do some impressive things in, in the Premier League considering the players they brought in and you know, they're 10th in the league now. They've drawn with Man United. They've drawn with Man City so far this season. So going very well. And yeah, Jimenez can be criticised for not being as clinical in front of goal as he could be. Certainly not in the same way as Chicharito. But the other things that he adds to the team as that, as that target man, that player to work off, his work rate. Obviously, he got the assist on Saturday. Um, what was a fantastic goal over Tino, but he is really pushing himself to the top of the queue, I think, for L3 now. Definitely. Um, that was a good goal by Montaigne. It was, it was really good. Um, talking about Porto, well, Achacha played the whole game. Porto won 2-0. Tecate subbed in and just played 10 minutes. Um, but Achacha obviously... Fans love Achiache, so he's always been pretty consistent, game by game. Absolutely. Uh, it's same story, really, isn't it? It's Herrera, starting captain, solid performance, and Tecatito not doing much off the bench, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to La Liga, we have Nestor Araujo, who did play the whole game. Um, sadly, drew 3-3. Guardado and Real Betis, Guardado played the whole game, also drew 2-2. Um, but regardless of the scoreboard, these you know players are getting to play the whole game and getting that action that they deserve, you know? Yeah, and Guardado uh, was also fantastic for Betis in midweek in the Europa League. He, he made 109 passes against Olympiacos which is just ridiculous Uh, one of the highest passing stats I've seen you you don't get many players playing 100 plus passes so it just shows how influential he is to Betis the way the way they want to play obviously so much of the game is going through him so it's it's great to see Uh, it's getting to the end of his career but he's still doing big things in Europe definitely that's insane. <laughs> the number of passes? Yeah, 109. Oh my god. Insane. Thank you guys for listening to another football podcast, episode two. If you guys don't follow Tom Harrison already, please follow him at Tom H underscore 36. And if you don't follow Carrie already, you can find her at Carrie Torres underscore seven. Well, guys, thanks for listening and tune in for next week. See you then.